And we're going to unpack, um, if you've got your manuals, we're going to unpack page 10, and we're just going to unpack the questions. And so there's a whole lot of questions that are in that manual, and we're going to go through each question. And as a panel, we're gonna, I'm going to ask these guys the question, and we're going to discuss. And then we'll see how we go as to whether it's just questions from the questions that you want to ask, or whether we do questions at the table. Is that cool? All right. Mel, do you want to pray? Father, I just want to thank you um, that your love never depletes and your provision never depletes and you love this house and you love this family and you long to make home in each of us and in us as a whole. And by faith, Father, I, I pray as we are rooted in your love that we would call you to come and we would submit to your word as your word comes and lives in our hearts, I pray that we would rearrange our lives to make the word at home, that we would put things in order to make the word of God, his, li- his living son, at home in our hearts, to live here and to live through us, that your kingdom would be established in here and through us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you're with us for the first time or just the second or third week, what we've been doing is going through God's big picture plan for us as his church, meaning not the rock but the body of Christ. God has a very definitive plan and purpose that is for a people group called the body of Christ, the church, saints, priests, the nation. The Bible clearly says he took two people groups, Jew and Gentile, and merged them into one, which are a people of the Spirit. And as a people of the Spirit, he has a spiritual plan and a spiritual purpose that is way bigger than earth. But that plan is to influence and affect the way we live on earth, knowing that earth is perishing and our home is not earth. And so it's very important we know what that plan and purpose of God is for us, not for you as an individual firstly, but for us as a people because that's to define our individual purposes and plans. So until you find God's plan, we can't really find our fit in that plan. But what we've sort of been taught over the years is there's an individual plan, for God knows the plans I have for you, says the Lord, but what we forget to realize is he's not talking to an individual, he's talking to a nation. And so the plans God has is for a nation, a people group, and as we know, the nation is a spiritual people who two become one. And so we've been unpacking this over these weeks, and we've been looking throughout the entire gospel, but focusing before Christmas on two, what I would call probably the most important messages I've ever preached, I think, from Revelation 19, 7 to 9, about what is it to really be made ready, and what are these righteous acts that the ready people are to be living out. So if we don't know what it is to be made ready, internally and externally, and we don't know what these righteous acts are, then we're really a little bit lost. So yes, we're justified by his blood, but we're not actually entering into this kingdom dimension of life that Jesus said, I've come to bring my kingdom with me. And so we've just really received John the Baptist's message. We're going to spend our eternity with God and we won't go to hell, but we know the gospel is way, way more than that. And so we must know what the true purpose and plan of the Father is for his people, which has been in place for 6,000 years now. 
And we can see from generation to generation, men like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Elijah, Elisha, seeing the future, receiving the future, prophesying this into the earth that all those who have spiritual ears to hear and a spiritual mind to understand will know the reality of what God has predestined for his people. And it's the greatest love story. It's not the greatest functional story. Okay? It's not the greatest functional gospel. It's the greatest love fellowship gospel. And as simple as that sounds, you know there's a massive shift in what I just said? Massive. Oh, no, nah, it's just a little, no, no, it's massive because we're all born functional with a functional way of thinking. And our first thing, unless your mind is renewed, is, God, what do you want me to do for you? That's not God's starting place. He clearly tells us in Scripture, that's not my starting place. And yet that's our starting place. So it's imperative that we come into this first position. We are all born in position number two. Okay? We have to come back to position one because every other position comes out of position one. There is no position two, three, four, or five. There's only position one. Can you hear what I'm saying? Out of one position comes life. But we're about the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. We're about the ands and the buts. God's not. It's not God and the church. It's the church lives are hidden in God. That's what God teaches me. My life is hidden in Christ. So it's Greg, God, together. I'm not a God, but I'm becoming Christ-like. So there's no separation now between God and me, because God lives in me, and I'm in God. Christ in me, the hope of glory, as I enter into in him, that reality starts to transform me. So I have common union, fellowship with my creator, and I live from, not towards that place. It's a position of one. The two have become one. It's a principle that we need to enter into in every facet. Not just marriage between a man and a wife, God and the church. We start separated from God, correct? You don't know? We start lost without any hope. And then we get rescued out of that darkness and brought by power into light and life. And in him... A man or a woman has their life. And that's where life is found. Full stop. And so these questions that we're going to ask, I'm hoping are going to open up a realm that has been declared. And you might grasp a greater reality in your spirit of the enormity of God's plan and his purpose and our position and our posture within that. Because there are things for us to live out. We are to be the demonstration of the wisdom of heaven on the earth. Which means we need to know wisdom. Jesus Christ himself. Not just head knowledge. Cool? Alright, so question for you guys. And once again, it's not even about answering the question. Because you can answer the question, and Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom. So when he asked the scribe, and the scribe said, what's the greatest commandment? And he answered, he said, you've answered intelligently, but you're not far from the reality of life. So just being able to answer questions is good, but it doesn't mean you're in life. A non-Christian can read the book and pass the test.
cool. It's about knowing the person because that's where the life is, not in answering the question. But questions lead us to the person. Cool. So some of these questions are what you call closed questions. They're a yes and a no. And the reason I've worded it that way is because I want you to ask your, you, have you asked these questions of you? So we go, oh, uh, well, that's where conversation finishes. No, it's like then ask yourself, why have I not asked myself this, why the great commandment is the great commandment? So the first question is, have you ever asked yourself why to love God and people is the greatest commandment from heaven? You might go, no, stop. No, go, no, why have I not asked myself that question? Like if God says the greatest, greatest, greatest thing in my heart is to love me and people, why? The life sits behind the why. Not the what, not the how, not the when, not the who, the why. And it's the thing we go nowhere near. Because the why exposes the heart. Why did you come here today? Was it from a place of selflessness or self? Did you come to impart or get? Did you come here because you need friendship or fellowship? Neither of those are wrong, but there's an order which we have to come to from first. See, the earth always puts itself first. Eternal puts itself first. This question unlocks everything. And so I'm hoping that we're journeying through this entire thing so we can actually become the people we're called to become. So Mel, have you ever asked yourself why to love God and people is the greatest commandment? Yes, I have. And I think it's a question that really tests the heart to ask if it has the incorruptible love of God because to be able to do that, uh, we can't do it without the eternal source of love that comes from heaven that's found in our heavenly Father. And the commandment is so relational uh, because he is such a relational God. And um, to, to start with something that we think is a function to go out and do things, um, I find is the follower that has a battery life and it's a short battery life that needs to be constantly charged by the highs and lows of um, winning people to, you know, the souls or just the high and lows of Christianity, you know, and doing things for him. But this is the Father saying, you know, in Ephesians, he talks about the riches open your, your, the eyes of our hearts to know the riches of Christ that's been invested into us and that this is a father that, that has, you know, his, his the heavenlies is his storehouse. Um, and so he, he's, he's never depleted. And if we know that source, then we know that we are, we are never depleted and we don't have to be self-sufficient and we don't have to find other sources to charge us up in order to love people Oh, you know, I haven't had a good day, so it's hard to love today. It's like we've got a different um, input, you know. And that input happens 
when we come to know him, you know, when we've been born again. I was, uh, <laughs> so funny, I was reading the word the other day and it, it talked about in um, Exodus about um, God's talking to his people and he, and he says, when the people come through the matrix, um, offer up your firstborn. And I thought, matrix? You know, and I started thinking about that movie. And um, anyway, so I decided to watch it the other night just to sort of recoup. And it was hilarious because um, afterwards I was like, man, there's so many synonyms, you know. And Kirk's like, yeah, that's like, you know, every, there's always been sermons about the matrix. And I'm like, well, I missed that boat because that was like 99 and I was probably only like 14. And who knows what you were doing, Greg, at that age. And Watching the you, matrix. Uh, watching the matrix, yeah. But, you know, the matrix actually talks about the womb. It's the womb. It's hidden. It's the dark in the darkness, and we have to be born again. And in the Matrix, you know, in the movie, it talks about these, you know, those people that who's seen it. Put your hand up so we know what we're talking about. Right? They're in those cells. Those people, and they got all that, all those um, tubes stuck into them. And he says, you know, these people weren't born. They were grown. They were conditioned. And the functional follower of Christ is the conditioned one, the one that hasn't actually experienced the born again life that has come from the source of heaven and not conditioned from its environment um, and so it's different we go we go as as born again Christians we go from the tomb we go from the tomb to the womb in Christ and we are hidden and born again believers that are function based with a short battery life and need to be charged they go from they go from the womb, being born of their mother, to the tomb. And don't experience the resurrected life that starts with the mouth-to-mouth resurrection, the whole body experience of Christ consummating himself, us consummating with him, that encounter of oneness. Of course, we love people from there. How can we not when you know that love? Thanks, man. Thoughts? Mm, yes. Um, yeah, I've asked myself that question as well two weeks ago when Greg uh, emailed me. <laughs> no, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, it's, it's such a, it, like you said, Mel, it's a question that really opens it up. You've got to, you can't ask that question without going, am I prepared for the answer? Yeah. And what happens if the answer isn't the, the one that I want it to be? Um, the, and, and like you said, Greg, we can give a good answer. We can say, you know, Jesus is the answer. The short answer is, for me, that we can't... It, these are the greatest commandments because without him, they're not possible. You can't love him without him. So we love because he first loved us. Um, and so our ability to enter into this is dependent completely on him. It has nothing of me in there. And to a performer, that's pretty jarring. You know, it means that I go, I don't bring a lot to the table. Um, and like you said, that when, when this happens, we naturally love one another. And I think it's interesting because we go, um, I heard the question go out a few weeks ago. Greg said, um, fellowship with whom? And, he, and the answer, everyone's like, oh, fellowship with God. And, and everyone's like, um, one another. Because we're not just, it's not just that. The evidence of this is that. And, you know, I just, I was, I was just, uh, chewing over a few passages this week in regards to this, and one of the ones that stood up stood out to me is um, uh, Colossians three fourteen, and he says, "Put on the bond, put on the bond of 
put on uh, love, which is the bond of perfection. And it's such a, a beautiful picture because this word bond is the same word that's used for sinew, which is talking about this body, that love is what joins this body together, that without love, this body isn't a body. And we are the body of Christ, bound together in love. And so we're invited to, to be a part of this, to be in this. Um, yeah, so I think, yeah, that's... Question for you guys. Do we believe God is a God of promise? Do you believe he's a God of purpose? Okay. So everything he does and everything he says goes towards the purposes of God, yeah? So the entirety of the scriptures are not the end in themselves, but they point to the end. So they point to the purpose of God. So we have to ask ourselves, why is the greatest commandment the greatest commandment? Because it's pointing. It's obviously a first in God's heart pointing towards the number one purpose of God. So to not know the purpose of God, you could just not really know why the commandment is the greatest. You can go, well, it's cool to love God, but I don't know what it's connected to. Because everything he says is connected to himself, and in himself is his finished plan and purpose. You can know the plans of God. We go, oh, we can't know because we ain't know in part. And there's a truth to that, but the other part of the truth is God says, the Holy Spirit's here to lead me into all of truth. So you have to wrestle with those two passages and not justify yourself away from knowing God's plan and purpose. And so do we believe that God's work is finished? So it's a done work. Do you believe that Isaiah said God declares the end from the beginning? Okay. And so we have to know the end, don't we? So the answer to this question lies in the end. Because it's not, it's a means towards pointing to an end. If I can't see the finish line, then really it's good, but it really is irrelevant. Because I don't know why and what it's for. So when I understand why the greatest commandment is the greatest commandment, because it's connected to something greater so it's the means that's pointing. It's the principle always points you to the person. What we have done is made the principle the end. And we've been robbed of the reality that it's pointing to. And so we actually don't really have the why, so we never come into the life of that. And that's a fatal mistake that the body of Christ has made. And then what we do is we create another why. So we end up creating our end and we say like this, the purpose of God is to reach lost people. The purpose of God is to find out your gift and serve him. The purpose of God is to raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons. The purpose of God is to feed the poor. And you have all these purposes which are in the scriptures and our part, but they're not the number one reason. And the commandment is pointing to something far greater. Like, why? Why is love? Like, why isn't it functional? Why isn't the greatest thing to raise a dead person from the grave? Like, why didn't God write that down? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? It's like, why did Jesus pray for oneness when he could have prayed for anything and everything? He chose to pray for oneness. 
Like he could have prayed for the anything, but he didn't. He prayed very clearly that we would be one. And how's that connected to this question? Because it is. Because everything leads back to Christ. And this is our challenge, because if we can't hear, it means you'll never see into the unseen, because you can't hear the unseen word. It's truly eternal. It's not earthly. If we're trying to understand God through our natural filters, we've already lost. Like we're already going the wrong way. And you're going to get the fruit of that wrong way, which will be a lifeless life. You'll be in forms of godliness, but actually will lack power in life. And so when you go to live out the instruction, you'll fail. He still loves you in the failure, but you'll fail. Because like Mel said, it's all based on someone's behavior as to whether you love them or not. If you skip through all my hoops and perform, then I'll love you. As soon as you miss one hoop, I can't love you. Because it's based on a human love and it's based on your performance and your behavior, not in something far greater that lives within me that I know is associated with this commandment. That's right. And you actually, you can't love others if you don't love yourself. And hear me on this, because when it says um, the commandment is to love God and love others as you love yourself. And we we love who is in us. It's who, who Christ is in us who's making us our true selves, that hidden life in him. When we know that self, that true identity, then you live from the great I am. Because your I am is found in the great I am. And so you're able to love from the great I am up to others, and, regardless of how they And who are you proven to be as you love from the great I am? So that's a question for you. Who are you proving yourself to be? Yell it out. The bride. You're proven to be his co-heir. You're actually proving to him and to others who you are. Now, you don't go out to, I've got to now prove I'm, no. It says those who abide in the vine, through their life, there'll be much fruit produced. And that proves you're his disciple. So you don't try to prove you're the bride. You abide in Christ, and through abiding, there'll be much fruit. That's the proof that you're his bride. The fact that you can actually demonstrate him is the evidence of you're in him. And it starts at the first. You're his co-heir. See, the whole entire gospel, the context is a marriage. And I've been banging on this forever, haven't I? But how many of you actually have a revelation of it? Very different. So we have to keep speaking until a revelation hits. Because until a revelation hits, you actually don't know it. Which means you can't answer the question. But if you have the revelation of that, you'll know the answer to that question. It'll be straight on your lips, because not because you know the answer, because you know him. The entirety of the context of the scriptures is based upon what? A marriage covenant. So the context for the book 
is not healing the sick, raising the dead, prophesying, fine. It's got nothing to do with function first. Have you been raised in a church that teaches the number one thing is function? Have you had time to actually have find fellowship with God? Even if you're not part of a family that is teaching that function is the number one, it's possible to hear that function is number one because that's in us. You know what I mean? Like it's our natural, it's our default state, right? And so we, we go out to perform because that's who we are until he steps in and shifts it around. So it's possible to hear 1 Corinthians 13 and read these as a list of things that love does and still not know love. But when love comes in, that will be the outworking of what's come in. And then you put words to that. But it didn't start with the words. The words are the result of what had already taken place. And that's, the, that's where the first place position is so important because what we're, what we're reading is the result of him stepping in rather than writing a whole bunch of stuff that now we have to do. And this is why it's, it's freeing, it's liberating, it's supposed to be, but it can be the greatest ob- obstacle as well. So all of this stuff can just be the heaviest burden that you've got or you read it and go, oh, I know that. Oh, that's the words to this thing that I've got, but I couldn't even articulate it. Someone's been there before me. Oh, this is my experience. Fellowship. Right. I'm in this fellowship. You've had this, you've had this happen. And the purpose is that we would all be in this together. Not my own experience, not this person's translation of what this means, all having received this substance and living from this reality, you might say it in a different way than you, but it's the same thing, and you go, I get it. Not even because of the words. I get it. The problem is, many people read the word to apply it. You don't eat it to become like it. The number one posture in God is eat my flesh, drink my blood, otherwise you'll have no life in you. God wants us to become, Romans eight twenty eight to 31, for those who God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Jesus said, why do you guys always polish the outer side of the cup and never deal with the inner realm? If you dealt with the inner realm, the outside takes care of itself. But that means you've got to open up the inner realm. And it's far easier to just continue to do function for God than open up your inner realm and allow God into the areas that you may have been hurt, but he wants to heal that area. So then he can tidy up the inner realm and you can actually live from Christ, not towards Christ. And this is the problem with us because you've been taught and I've been taught and we've all been taught, you read to apply. And there is an application. It's second though. And the application is part of your becoming Christ-like because it's not become and apply, it's one whole thing. Out of my becoming and my being, I'm able to demonstrate a life. But it comes from a place that you can't see. And the challenge is what we try to do is we try to copy. And we're taught to copy, show and tell. Actually sets you up for failure because you're called to imitate, not copy. Paul says, imitate me, all right? Everyone up the front, we're going to lash you five times, 39 times, and you're all going to go, that was momentary light affliction for the glory you're causing in me. And we're all going to be all good with that, aren't we? 
You see, you've got to come into the life like Chris was saying. What you see and read is testimony of the transformational work that God is doing in the lives of the people in the stories. That's what you're reading. It's their confession of the work he's doing. You can't understand this in your mind because it's a testimony of the work of God. What we're called to do is enter into the testimony. So we have our own testimony. So now I can actually imitate what I read. The scriptures confirm what God is doing. They're secondary. They're not the authority of heaven. Jesus Christ is. So they back up. They're not the first. In the beginning was not the scriptures. In the beginning was God. Can you hear the difference? Because it's not subtle. It's miles apart in operation. You can hear and agree with me and you'll still be in the scriptures as your authority. Because the evidence of being in Christ is the demonstration of Christ in and through you. That's actually how you know that you're in Christ. You actually have the ability to demonstrate to the measure Christ is in you, love. So why is love the greatest commandment, Greg? Because it's pointing to the greatest promise, which is a marriage between Christ and and his church. So we need to get revelation of that. That is a first. There are many firsts. That is a significant first. I, I know about the bride, I know about that. Then love. Come forward. I'm going to whip you five times, 39 times, and you're going to be all cool with it. Then we're going to stone you, and you're going to go, Father, forgive, for they do not know what they're doing. This is the reality of the power of being perfected in what we're declaring here. Perfected in oneness, so you walk in the manner in which Jesus walked. 1 John 2, 3, 1 John 2, 6. This is who we've been called to be. We're not called to be humans, little humans who struggle through life. We're called to thrive and be overcomers. But through a source that is heavenly within us. Okay? So the number one thing in God's heart is fellowship, a marriage, and it has always been his heart for his church. Okay? Second question, have you ever asked why, if you don't have love, you are a noisy gong, you're a clanging cymbal, and all your works come to nothing? Yes, I have asked that. Um, so this is a good one, and I think um, this, is, this has been spoken to this morning. You know, Greg earlier was talking about how uh, James and John were ready to call down fire from heaven on this, this group of people that didn't perform the way that they were supposed to. And, you know, Paul, in the context of this, Paul says, look, I, you know, if I do all these great miracles but I don't have love, it prof- profits me nothing, right? And I was just thinking about the, the um, analogy that he used a uh, clanging cymbal and a noisy gong. And you know how jarring that is, eh? When you're just in the middle of nowhere and someone's like, bong, and you're like, ugh. It's, like a, it's just like a big motorbike first thing in the morning when you're waking up. You could say that as well. There's a hundred different ways of explaining the it. The backfires. The backfires, <laughs> bang, bang, bang. But the interesting thing about the, um, the clanging cymbal and the, the gong is that there is actually a good place for those. They're not always bad. So a clanging gong and a resounding cymbal or whatever it is, is is great when there's 
music being played and it's in its right time and place. And I just found that really interesting because I feel like love is the context, love is the song, and these works are part of the song, but they're not the song. And so without love, we're just sounding off, making some noise, trying to convince everyone that it's the song or the main event, and it really isn't. (laughs) And that instrument shouldn't be in isolation, right? It shouldn't be on its own. Um, It has to be part of a full harmony, symphony, the other instruments to make a sound, the right sound. If works aren't being done from love, what are they being done from? What's another word for self beginning with L? Lust. Lust. How can God bless works of lust that come from you? A righteous act doesn't come from you, does it? It comes from him. But you get to administer the righteous act. doesn't matter what you're doing. This, right now, can be done from lust. The playing and the singing can be done from lust. The being on the door can be done from lust. The serving the coffee, the healing the sick, the raising the dead, the prophet, can all be done from me. Because I've got a gift. And boy, do you need to know from me. (laughs) Which is testing where. Which means I don't love him. I love me. Yeah, that's right. I'm in love with me. And you all need to know and hear from me. But this is very clear. Unless everything that's coming forth from me comes from him, it's a waste of time. How can healing the sick be a waste of time? Oh, no, that's not a waste of time for that person. Because I actually used my gift I gave you because I wanted to do that. But you and me, it's another story. You see, you can't get confused with you healing a sick person and thinking you've done well if he hasn't ordained that. He might say, who are you? Steve, who are you, bro? But Lord, I healed that person. I played in the Yeah, I know you did. And the only reason you did that is because I gave you those things. But actually, who are you? Because I know you don't know me. And I know you didn't love me. See, I know that you didn't take the time, even though I loved you, and I covered you, you actually abused the covenant that we're in. Because you actually loved you, and you didn't love me enough to take the time to come to know me enough. And because you didn't know me, you did what you thought was right. But I actually sent all these people and I sent you to the rock and you were hearing message about fellowship and fellowship and fellowship and love and love and you actually didn't hear because you ultimately were still afraid of what that looked like because you weren't prepared to let go and jump in and learn to swim. And so it's very easy to play the functional game in the church. And God said to David, I don't need your sacrifice, I don't need your offering, I don't, I don't need anything, mate. I created the whole thing. Do you really think I need your works, church? You, like, come on. Do you really think? So before we figure that out, then we can never actually start to live the way he's called us to live and demonstrate because it's still coming from us. Our good ideas, our plans, our thoughts, all from the power source of lust. And we wonder why we run out of energy and then we don't get rewarded and then we get offended 
And then we get hurt because no one recognized all my work. Even God didn't recognize it, and the church certainly didn't recognize it. No, you just got wrapped up in you. And so you ended up hurting you because it was all done from you. And that can be really tough to be confronted with. But you have to for him to crucify that part of you that's still living. Like it literally says you're nothing. Yeah, I was just going to read that. I mean, and that's this could this is offense. This could be very offensive, but this is how serious he is. is um, in Corinthians, it says, "And though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. I am nothing." Again, it it. It's coming to the identity of being. It's not about what we do. It's who are we in him. Because to live another way that's not of love is actually to dismiss and almost disqualify in your own world the work of the cross. And if we're meant to prove who God is and his love through us, to not live that way is to not prove what he's done. Do you hear what I'm saying? That can be missed. And um, again, it comes, it comes back to that relational identity. I, you know, to, to, to do all these things, but to not do it with love, I am nothing. And that's Paul speaking. Because the place you're doing it from is you. See, you're someone in him, but in you, you're nothing. Can you hear the difference? If you live from you, he's saying, you're not nothing, you're a child of mine. But the place you're doing it from is you, so it's nothing. That I place is nothing. It's not, it's not of me. You're worthy, you're valuable in me, but where you're living from is not in me, it's in you, so that means nothing. And that's what's quite scary, isn't it? The fact that you can actually do function here. You can move mountains. And still not actually know love. Now, the opportunity we get is God wants us to know all. He wants us to be in all of everything he came to bring. Which starts, once again, from fellowship. Like fellowship, God, it's not cups of tea. Okay? If you catch yourself saying, oh, we're going to have some good fellowship and it's around relational connection, that ain't fellowship. That's just friendship. That's relational connection. Friend fellowship is when you come together and you're sharing the releasing, the fragrance of the knowledge of God you will know, and all of a sudden there's an impartation happening in your spirit and you're like, I feel fed. Like I've received manna from above. I've just had fellowship with my brothers and sisters. I'm alive. Man, I can tell you about what I just received. It's got nowhere the scones are nice or the cups of tea are nice. That's friendship. That's companionship. That ain't fellowship. It's union with your brothers and sisters because you have union with God. And to the measure you have union with God, you can have it with Chris. So to the measure Chris's fellowship with God is the same as mine, we have the same fellowship. If he has a greater fellowship with God, and I'm a lesser, I'm still in fellowship. But to the measure I'm in fellowship with God and to the measure he is. So God says, why don't you become perfect like your heavenly father's perfect so you have 100% union fellowship with the body and actually you all look and act like my bride. And you can love humanity that hates you 
That's the standard. The sinner loves the sinner. The sinner gives to the sinner. The saint loves those who hate them. And what you've just literally described about giving the essence, the fragrance of God to another, that is, that is actually what love is made up of, right? The, the words, if we look at it and break it down, it's the aleph, the, the hay, and the bet, which is the aleph is the house, the, the um, head of the house, it's God himself. Um, the hay is the breath, it's what he gives. And then bet is the house. And who's the house? We're the house. As individuals and together, we're the house. And so the father gives to the house. He feeds the house. He supplies the house. And like I said earlier, it doesn't deplete. And it doesn't mean if we give out, we have any less. It means he says, I'm going to give you more because what you're giving, you're multiplying because that's who I am. So the more you give, actually the more you get from the father. And again, in Ephesians, it talks about the household, doesn't it? It talks about the father just pouring out and feeding and supplying the house. And um, a few months ago, Jeremy was up here and he, he got us to open all the doors in the building. Does anyone remember that? Stunning. It was just a stunning picture. And um, in Ephesians, it talks about being filled to the fullness of God. And that means that every... Um, Room in every home and in every home and every city is filled with lights. Now, can you imagine if every believer opens every door of every part of their being and allows the Father to supply, to reach every corner and hidden place for Him to come and dwell? And then every individual that's allowed that open space for Him to come together, what a house! What a house! And who are we? We can supply. We can feed, and we don't run out. We don't run out. And we're, we're called to live like that, right? Yeah, to walk in the we light, are. to not be afraid of it. Not and the thing afraid. that I, one of the things I love is when God steps in, and you have been encountered by love, you're free to walk in the light, because all of a sudden you know Him. You're you're not afraid, and it doesn't mean that you're perfect the moment that He touches your life, but it means that you can ask the why question and be childlike and go. If the answer isn't what I want it to be, I'm okay because I already know what I'm standing on, what I'm unshakable. That's right. And I think, you know, once we encounter love, like we're mixed with the seed. Now, if you can yep. sort of work That's with me in that image, you know, husband and wife, when they've come, come together, there's a mixture. Like you can't unbecome. Do you know what I mean? Once you've encountered eternal quality love, yep. that that takes over your soul. And yes, it increases over time. Like I said, the more we give out from that place, the more he increases that in us. But that seed, when we home that seed and nurture that seed, it's, it's a mixed consummation. It's, you can't undo that. I want to ask you guys a question. What's the connection between question one and question two? Because they are interlinked. Have you ever asked yourself why to love God and people is the greatest commandment? Now we, are, we, we discussed the answer behind that, didn't we? Then have you ever asked us why if you don't have love, you're a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal, and your works and you are nothing? 
So what is the eternal connection between those two questions? So one's to do with works and one's to do with being. Yep. Because of the top one you're grounded in God and the bottom one you're grounded in self. Yep. Eternal reward. Yep. If it's fully possible to do works for God and not love God, and God says the greatest commandment is love, what are you doing? What are you breaking? The covenant. So you're breaking your covenant. That's serious. So how can you have an eternal reward if you break the covenant that's associated with that eternal reward? But God, I'm doing all these things. And God says, but I asked you to love me. But God, I did all this for you. I asked you to love me. But God, but God, I asked you, commanded, instructed you very clearly. I made it my number one priority. Otherwise, I would have told you the greatest commandment is works. I didn't. I told you, I instructed you, the greatest commandment was that you would love me, which you can't do. Peter said he could do a whole lot of things for God, didn't he? He found out the hard way. He couldn't actually do what God had asked him to do. And then he broke. Because he actually got the revelation. He couldn't actually keep the covenant. Because no human being can keep the covenant in you. But what you can do is do a whole lot of works for God. But you break the covenant. Which is connected to the third question which says, have you ever asked why you are not worthy of Jesus if you love others more than him? It's interesting, all right. So it's all connected to a position of one, isn't it? So you can't keep any of it. Have you come to the place in your life where you realize you actually can't keep the instructions? And that's good news. It actually frees you from this functional thing that the church is bound up in. And that's why it's there, to bring us to the end of us so we actually then realize, I need you so I can keep your covenant with me because you're keeping it, but I'm breaking it. No, I'm not. I love God. Okay, once again. Let's have a look at what love looks like from his perspective, not yours. Oh. Yeah, see, the standard isn't earthly, it's eternal. We don't set the benchmark, he does. And he's clearly written it down before the foundations of the earth so we can know the standard to which we're called. And yet, he gives us the capacity and ability to do these works 
and still not love him and know him? And the question that's horrified me for years is why? Like, why would you let people do that who then can deceive themselves thinking they love you and be led away and on that day here, I don't know who you are. Like, why does God give us the capacity to actually do this stuff in his name and then get hoodwinked by the fact that our self is still living and out of self I did all these things and then here, you know, that was a waste of time. It wasn't for the person that received the healing. It was awesome for them. But actually, we're talking about you, Greg. It's now your heart's on the throne, and you're standing before me, son, and it's the judgment for reward. And you're about to get found out for what you didn't actually know and live out. And you could have known it on earth, but you were too busy loving you. And by the way, your wife and your kids and your sport and your career and your house on Taupo and all those things. It's urgent. I'm not sure about you, but we live in days that are getting darker. I ain't going to nail this thing. I don't even know if anyone knows what anyone's really doing. But So our hope and our life better be in the Christ. Not in Christianity, in the Christ. And we better know why we're called and chosen. And we better be living a life worthy of that calling, not sleeping. Having a life that's earthly but not eternal and missing. It's living from that that tree of knowledge, isn't it? We're the ones that determine what's good and bad, live according to our own definitions, and it's still a, a lordship issue, right? Um, I see it in my kids, um, not in Khan because he's in the room, but um, I see it in my, and I see it in the in the young ones, and I'm sure that as parents we all see this in our children, you know, where they have an idea, and it's it's so rooted in themselves, and it's completely the wrong way because they haven't heard what's been spoken, or they've run off on their own initiative and just done something which they thought was what you wanted, and it's completely the opposite of what you wanted. Um, because what's been spoken hasn't been heard. Um, you know, I just see this this picture of this relationship of, of three that are completely for each other more than they are for themselves. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we're invited into this relationship. And unless we are like him, we actually can't be part of that relationship because that's going to fall apart. That's right, and that's, that's what worthy means, right? It's, it's having the same weight as Christ, the same um, quality as Christ, and that he's making us fit for him, and he does that through covenant. So being the, you know, he was the one who initiated the covenant with us, and it's on his terms, and, um, and we come in agreement to that, you know, and so it becomes a, a partnership, but because he's partnering with um, with us, with humanity, he came and he made a way that we would enter into his eternal life and that then we would become of the same quality and the same weight, that we are now worthy, we're actually worthy of Christ if, if we love him and we cherish who he is to us, that we would love him completely and love others as we love ourselves because we have the one Christ, the hope of glory, another mystery that lives in us. That knowledge, that true knowledge that the, the hope of Christ lives in us is the weight of glory. 
and we share that in covenant with him um, because he's made us fit and he's qualified us. Hallelujah, you know. Just to answer the question as to why God allows and gives us authority and gifts. And I asked this question, I got an answer. He said, because I believe that my people will do it my way. Because all those who actually love me will. Those that don't, won't. And that's how he's finding out. The Bible says God knows clearly who loves him. And it's through your action, not your words. It's through what you're able to demonstrate because you've actually relinquished and lost your life. This is the difference between the justified life and the kingdom life. The justified life doesn't need to lose itself to be justified. All it needs to do is acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior. So you are justified. This is my testimony from death to life. Because grace rewrote my story. I'm justified. But I still lives. The kingdom life loses itself. And it gains a new life. And it loses itself for his sake. Matthew 10, 39. Here's the opportunity we all have. I personally believe from my revelation and my time with the Holy Spirit that many people have only ever received the justified life. And we are yet to lose, through the empowerment of God, that life. Now, you need to be justified to lose your life. And it can happen in all one massive hit. But I do believe the majority of the body of Christ haven't lost their life and are still the source of our own lives. But we are washed in blood. And you need to lose your life. And God believes we will. Because God gives everything for life and godliness. So it's all based on what I've actually received because if God has given it all for me to lose my life and I still can't lose my life, it means I haven't received what I need to receive to lose it because God has given it. Which means I must seek God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength and find what I need so actually I can lose me and enter into this brand new life, not just be covered by blood. Okay? And so God actually says, he tells us this in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. He says to those that love me they will know what I have prepared for them so he knows and he gives us all because he's believing we're actually going to follow his instruction and if we follow his instruction we will be able to live out this life but if we don't and won't we can't because we don't have what we need we're trying to access this reality from earth that's why he heaven had to come to earth, so heaven could be beside earth. But heaven needs to get into earth through power. And then I'm not finding myself loving me, my wife, and another more than him. Now this really challenges the posture that you really believe. I can feel it right now in the spirit. I can feel massive opposition to what I'm saying. I can feel people's flesh going, 
who says so? What do you know? And that's cool. I'm just sharing my testimony of what I'm able to live out. It's up to you, and these guys are doing the same, as to whether you do anything with it. There's freedom to do nothing with it. And there's freedom to do everything with it. And there is a turning required, you know, because it, it's all based on the true gospel that you actually have received. Not in words, but in power. The gospel is a gospel of power that takes dead people and makes them live. Yeah. And then actually empowers them to become, which empowers them to be the demonstration, all done through divine grace. And all of a sudden you find yourself actually being able to live this reality, not because you're trying, but you have the substance in you that enables you to. And that reality is mind-blowing. But it actually keeps you in the posture of humility because you know it hasn't come from you, but it's in you. It's beautiful. And so we're going to end it there. Maybe is it, and we're gonna, next week we're going to... I want to work through all these questions because they are interlinked and interconnected. They're really one question. But he wants us to break it down in chunks because there's a reality that's being painted that he wants us to come into. Is there one burning question that someone might have on your heart? That Yes, Terry. Uh, just with the uh, you know, dying self, it's, it's not a one-off thing, is it? It's, a, it's, it's not a one action and then you made it. It's a continuous action. I think it's both. I, I think there has to be... It was, after Sam's message last Sunday, I was thinking about peace. You know, to have peace, blood has to be shed. In, in every, if you look at scripture, there's always that, that um, hand in hand. And for us to know peace, to be reconciled to Christ, um, there has to be a death and, and then be born again, a new life. And from that place, you have an empowerment and the life of Christ in us to live a selfless life. So you, you're not trying to die to self. You've been trumped by love, and love is now the very thing that is directing you and giving you purpose and defining all things. So I would say it's both. Um, but the, I think on the other side, there can be a counterfeit of conditioning, and that's, that's where you in our flesh we're trying to be selfless and we're trying to think of others before ourselves and we're trying and we don't like who we are because we're always tired and we're always stressed and everything's too hard and it's like just throw that away oh my goodness just breathe like breathe new life let the breath of God resurrect us you know so I think it's both Mm. it's both becoming one and it's a mystery And, and this is the thing we have to be able to see in the spirit and be able to see it in forms and know it actually comes back to one posture. And so the soul is the realm that controls many people. Okay, So spirit comes in and lives in your spirit. And the spirit of God cries back, Abba, Father, I've connected with the lost vessel. 
Now, your soul needs to get saved. Okay? Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. That is the driver of your life. Okay? Now, in the middle, your will, which is a powerhouse. Okay? That's why nobody wants to die physically. And adrenaline pumps through the body. If someone comes in and there's a gunman and adrenaline starts pumping because you are wired to live. Okay? That is very, very strong. That is the thing that needs to get broken and smashed upon the rock and cease to exist. Okay? Now, if you fall and you only fall off the step, you might bruise your arm, but you don't get broken into pieces. You may dent your arm, but you don't get broken into pieces. So there's a sense of the human will starting to break, but is not broken because it's been bruised and dented and all that, okay? So here's the two and the one just within the will. But you want it to get broken, finished, crucified, it no longer lives, okay? Now we're just talking about the will, you understand? So it's on a process where God's working with you. You know, you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off, you didn't get broken, so you're living again, Six months, make a dumb call. Oh, we're back here again. Now I've fallen over. Now I've just slightly fractured the leg. Okay, go to the hospital, put it back together. It heals. I'm not smashed and fell on the rock, and my will ceases to exist. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. My will has gone. Purely the will. Okay, we got that. So the two and one in there. Now you move to the mind. If your will is smashed upon the rock and no longer exists, that's the epicenter of I, I, I'm trying to hold my life together. Now your mind is prepared and waiting to be renewed. Now even there, there is a die self because all of a sudden a brand new reality comes out. Do you know what? It's not about reaching lost people as number one priority. It's about an eternal covenant with a marriage covenant. You've been destined to... What are you talking about? I'm a bloke. You're calling me the bride. What on earth are you going on? Marriage, what are you going on about? No, 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 no. It's about reaching lost people. It's about going saving the planet and all those things. So now God is asking, is your mind, what you're hearing, there's a wrestle. Now there's a greater death to self because, okay, you show me from the scriptures your point of view and I'll show you mine. And we need the Holy Spirit to reveal to both. But what does the scriptures say the number one purpose of God is? Well, it tells us. So how come your thinking isn't aligned to what that says? So now there's a denying of what you think, what you believe, what you feel to come into, okay? And it's the same with emotions too. It's like, why do you live from your emotions? Why, when you're having a bad day and you feel bad, does that define how you live? Rather than the truth that's been revealed in you define that. Because that is such a temporal... Um, scary, fragile position to live from. Like that means if it's hot, you're good. If it's raining, you're bad. If lockdown happens for another six months, oh my goodness, I'm going to be killing everyone in my home. Like I can't survive and that's an issue, isn't it? And so it's two, but really it's one. And so as God goes to work through the power of his grace and his power, which grace is, all of a sudden this formational work of one, now you're able to demonstrate a reality that is eternal, not earthly. And so, you know, 
The coronavirus is a massive opportunity for the church to demonstrate hope, peace, joy, abundance, life. But if we're like the world, then what's the difference? It's like you actually can't be what you're supposed to be. So you're supposed to be a people of hope, but you can't bring hope because you don't know hope. Because you're actually, what you're living is the evidence of what's in you. So a lost person sees, well, you've got no hope. You're panicking like I am. There's no hope coming out of you. All I hear is hopelessness, despair, darkness, worry, and anxiety. Like, well, you can't have anything, and you say you're a Christian. You see, can you hear the responsibility that we have been given? If we're going to call ourselves disciples and followers, this covenant, it asks for a lot. Like, it's not a bit, it's all. And so it's like, my goodness, now there's time and love is covering. But God is going, I'm raising a mature people through a divine work of grace, power, who will be able to demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God, Ephesians 3.10, to the heavenly realm, never mind the earth, the heavenly realm, who will be confused by what these people are able to do. And the angels will look and go, what's that about? That Chris Reddington down there, he's able to demonstrate love. Yeah, because Chris Reddington knows his father. And everything that the Father has given and is growing in that. And his love is covering as he grows. And he's going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. She's going to make mistakes. We're going to get it wrong. But like a loving Father, he's covering that failure so we can actually come into faith. And our mistakes get less and less and less. And our winnings go up and up and up and grow. And all of a sudden you have a body that is what this says it is. Grown up. God said to me 10 years ago, I'm shaking this house because they're on milk and it's time to get on meat. So get out the way. <laughs> and he did it with me for 18 months first before he even started talking to you guys. Started with me. Got to break you down to build you back up, to bless you. And that's our challenge. So it's all the time. And yet it's a position of one. And you, you can, I know, I know that my will got broken in 1997. Not because I read it, because I encountered and I was smashed and love came and healed. And the thing that had stopped me no longer was there. I'd been set free from me. And if you know my story, man, I've had lights and rooms, signs and wonders. I should be the guy that relinquished that life then. That just showed me how hard my heart was and how much I needed the power of God to release me from me. You're no different. You're as evil as I am. <laughs> Remember Sam's message. It ain't based on your life story. We know we're darkness. We're destined. We're destitute for hell. There's no one good. We're all evil sinners who are living for self. And we're rescued out of darkness into light through the power that comes into that realm who no one understood and grabs us and goes, come over here, son. It's all a work of divine grace. Not based on my intellectual ability to understand words. Come on. That's human. That just puffs me up. So, hope that helps. <laughs> Jay just looked up and went, 
Yeah, sort of. <laughs> and we've got to figure this out together, yeah? This is why we have discipleship. This is why we encourage these modules. This is why we say do life together. This is why you've got to walk together. This is bigger than any individual, man. You will walk away if you're on your own. You've got to do this together. And then you've got to hold one another while we want to walk away, eh? I'm out of here. I've had enough full of this. This is going too dope. Now you're going nowhere. <laughs> Come on. We're going to carry one another's burdens. Galatians 6.2. We're going to walk this out and we're going to fulfill the law of Christ, which is love. And when the goal is not right or wrong, but oneness, we can do it in him. But when the goal is right and wrong, we'll rip each other apart because I need to be right. Well, I need to be right. Well, see you later. Division. Because we can't walk together. Oh, really? Well, then how did Jesus walk with his disciples who actually disagreed with him all the time? See you, disciples, on me bike. <laughs> now, that ain't the pattern, is it? That's what lust does. Love walks with lust until lust becomes love. And even if it never does, it still walks with it. Because that's all no love knows how to do. Because that's what it is. It's patient, it's kind, it's gentle, it doesn't get jealous, it doesn't hold the wrong, it bears the offense, it doesn't hold the grudge, it believes all things and it hopes all things in something it's seeing that's not it yet but it's becoming. Because it looks into the unseen and sees the finished work, it doesn't look at what it's looking at and go, oh my goodness, this is hopeless. It sees the unseen and all of a sudden this, this seed you see starting to grow, man it's been 10 years. Ten years, long years. We only just sort of popped our head up a little bit. Good things take time. time. They do in his kingdom. I'm like, come on, man, grow, 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 come on. Where's the tree? Come on. But see, it requires a yes from you and I, me. It requires your yes. It won't just happen by sitting. You've got to come to the party and go, yes. I'm entering into the process of the cross. I'm entering into being transformed. I'm not going to sit on the other side of the bank. I'm going to jump in and learn how to swim. And I'm doing that with my brothers and sisters. There's no life on the bank. No life in the boat. That's comfortable. That ain't Christianity. That's man's version. It's out there in the ocean. It's up on the 10-meter diving board. <laughs> yeah, let's all go diving, eh? <laughs> you go first. <laughs> all right. Anyway, Father, we thank you. We thank you we can unpack the mysteries of your kingdom. We thank you we can do that in love and with humor, but also in the seriousness of what you're calling us to. Father, you are a God who loves us with a love that at times I don't understand, but Lord, I've received it and I know it. And I know what it's done in me and what it's doing to others and the connection and the kind of people it raises up in the earth. And Father, you are building your house. You're building it your way. You're doing it through your divine grace, not through our abilities or giftings or what we think, but purely through a divine work of your spirit. And I pray for everyone here that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I pray we would know you as our Father. I pray we would know you as our teacher, that we would know you. And that you would engrave the living substance called the word of God, the spiritual manna 
that builds us on our hearts and our minds, which just empowers and enables us to walk in the manner of love and be faithful to the covenant that you established before we even began. So Lord, encourage us today. Fill us with courage and boldness to say yes and be single-minded as you build your house. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.